And now a look at local and statewide news. Dr. Bob Johnson passed away on Friday, January 31st. He leaves behind his wife of nearly 70 years, four sons, and eight grandchildren. But he also leaves behind his Kodiak family, the many hundreds of people who feel a strong connection to Johnson because he played some role in their lives. From delivering babies, to saving lives as a doctor, to philanthropic work, and countless hours donated to local civic organizations and nonprofits, Johnson was a key person in much of Kodiak's community life. Kodiak's vibrant arts community and the local auditorium can trace a direct link back to Johnson. KMXT's Maggie Wall spoke to Arts Council Director Katie Oliver. Katie Oliver, you are the Executive Director of the Arts Council, and Dr. Bob was a big active part of the arts in Kodiak, everything. I mean, everything. The man seemed like he could do just about everything. And for many, many years, he did do just about everything related to arts, or so it seemed. And so what do you know about Dr. Bob? And what do you know about um, personally, directly, and then what other people have told you since you've been working at the Arts Council? Well, um, Dr. Bob was a true champion of the arts and uh, a true believer in the power of the arts to transform people's lives. He was both a talented musician and a devoted arts patron. I think many people know um, of his work with the Cry of the Wild Ram, um, which was an incubator program for the start of the Kodiak Arts Council. he was a, a fierce advocate for Kodiak's need for a state-of-the-art performing arts facility, which we have, of course, that we now know as the Gerald T. Wilson Auditorium that served our community uh, since 1986. Um, and he was, you know, a leader in many respects in Kodiak, and, and the arts benefited from his energy and attention. Is it safe to say that the arts as we know it in Kodiak wouldn't exist if it um, had not been for him? He was like the driver of so much for so long. Yeah, he was a founding member of the Arts Council. You know, it's hard to, to speculate what, what could have been in his absence, but certainly a lot of what we have um, we owe to his energy and his championing. Have you heard, Katie, from anyone? Have they called you, made any comments about what they're thinking right now? I have had folks come into the office and, you know, reminisce and share stories and make sure that the current staff at the Arts Council know about his role in our origins and in our ability to produce work in the auditorium. So certainly people are coming in and sharing stories and and talking about Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob was born on Christmas Day, 1925. He moved to Kodiak in 1938 with his father, Dr. A. Holmes Johnson, and his mother, Faustina, who was a registered nurse. His father was Kodiak's first resident doctor. Johnson was graduated from the University of Washington Medical School in 1954, interned at Brooklyn Methodist Hospital, and returned to Kodiak in 1955 to practice with his father at the A. Holmes Clinic, which was located near downtown on Upper Mill Bay Road. Johnson continued the practice after his father's death and retired from medicine in 1994, thanks to the Kodiak History Museum for materials on Dr. Bob's medical career. A California-based rocket startup company called Astra is coming back to Kodiak for a launch at Narrow Cape, scheduled for February 21st. Here are the details. 
Until last week, rocket startup Astra was still operating under stealth mode, meaning they weren't publicizing their activities or announcing their involvement in previous Kodiak launches. A new promo video describes Astra in terms similar to commercial launch companies like SpaceX and Rocket Lab. There's a revolution happening in space. Small startups are launching a new generation of satellites. Several tech and business profiles of the recently unveiled company have characterized Astra as a fast-paced operation, working quickly to design small, cheap rockets that can be produced on a large scale for frequent launches. What if you could depend on a launch every month, every week, every day? What if booking a launch was as easy as booking a flight from San Francisco to New York? As Astra CEO Chris Kemp told Bloomberg Businessweek last week, quick, responsive product design means a lot of course correcting as you go. Quote, it would be unprecedented if this was a successful orbital flight, Kemp said of this upcoming launch. He emphasized this is one of many launches they're planning in an ongoing campaign. Astra carried out two launches at Kodiak's spaceport in 2018. The second rocket was terminated shortly after launch, resulting in what the FAA deemed a, quote, mishap. Astra still called the launch a success, but the failed rocket scattered debris and spilled fuel around the launch site, requiring tons of contaminated soil shipped off the island. On the spaceport side, Alaska Aerospace CEO Mark Lester says he can't speak to Astra's product development, but he says he's elated to have a regular commercial client looking to launch often from Kodiak. If they want to be successful, we want them to be successful. I don't think anybody's in this business not to be successful, but I think everyone recognizes that space is hard. Rockets are hard. Um, and you know what they are trying to do has been accomplished by very, very few companies, uh, commercial companies in particular. The upcoming launch window is scheduled for 11.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Friday, February 21st. If for any reason the launch is canceled, it'll be moved to the following day in the same time window. Possible reasons for delay include high winds, thick clouds, or other poor weather, technical delays with the rocket, or safety concerns like a fishing boat straying into the blocked waters around Narrow Cape. Alaska Aerospace has put together a series of responsive communication strategies to make sure the community is aware of the launch window and that the launch impedes on daily comings and goings as little as possible. Along with updates on their website and the usual road sign near the rendezvous, Lester says there's a new launch hotline, 1833PSCA321, that community members can call to hear updates on scheduled launches. Along with smaller aviation closures, Lester also notes that the three-and-a-half-hour launch window is the shortest they've had in some time. Morning and afternoon flights between Kodiak and Old Harbor should still commence as usual. We're, we're moving towards the right direction, and the feedback I've gotten from the aviation community is while it's not perfect and there's still some room for improvement, uh, it, we're, we're working together to then accommodate each other's needs. Local fishing boats have also been contracted to maintain the waterway closure. Reporting in Kodiak, I'm Kavitha George. The bodies of the five people who died last week in a Ute commuter service plane crash near the community of Tuntutuliak are in Anchorage. The names of the four deceased passengers from the coastal community of Kipnook have yet to be released. The pilot was Tony Matthews. The recovery effort took multiple agencies two days, working outside in severe wind chill. KYUK's Anna Rose MacArthur talked with two of the responders who were there. Well, we were prepared with our equipment to hopefully deal with survivors. That's always the hope. 
says Tuntatuliak Search and Rescue volunteer Carl Andrew, that when you go out, it's for a rescue, not a recovery. As we all know by now, with all the releases, the news, the reports, there was no survivors. On the day of the crash, Thursday, Andrew was at work. He manages the Tuntatuliak Power Company, and at 2 p.m., he was ordering generator fuel when his phone rang. It was the village police officer saying a plane had crashed nearby and Alaska State Troopers had given them coordinates. Andrew was needed. I went home, started warming up my snow machine, got my warm stuff ready, had my wife fill up my thermos bottle, coffee. Carried a few stuff in my backpack and went straight down to the public safety. He and seven search and rescue volunteers, two health aides, and one village police officer headed out to find the plane. It had crashed about a dozen miles southwest of the village. They arrived at about the same time as the Alaska Army National Guard Black Hawk helicopter. It was about 4 p.m. Temperatures with wind chill clocked at about 20 degrees below zero. Soon it would be dark. The volunteers had time to only recover one of the bodies. That first time we went out, we had no clue who was involved. But after we got back from the first day, I was starting to hear rumors. That night, Andrew learned one of his friends had been on board. He and the other Tuntatuliak search and rescue volunteers returned the next day, along with many others. The day would be longer and colder than before. The pictures of Antarctica, when you look out there and it's nothing but white and the wind's blowing across and the snow, that's what it's like. Alaska State Trooper Joe Whittam snow machined from Bethel to the crash site the next morning with other troopers, as well as a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service officer, an investigator with the National Transportation Safety Board, and two Bethel firefighters trained to extract bodies from wreckage. The stripped-down equipment made the journey longer than expected. It was real windy. Some of the sleds that we had were were real light, and um, so it slowed our advanced down as the sleds kept turning over when they're empty. The winds blew a constant 25 miles per hour, dropping the wind chill to nearly 50 degrees below zero. The open tundra provided no shelter or barriers. By the time we got there the next day, everything was starting to drift over and froze up, so there was no smoke, there was no heat. The trooper's job, Widom says, was to document the scene where people were sitting, were they wearing seatbelts, and what protective equipment was available. The cold made writing difficult. You know, your dexterity in your hands gets really hard, but due to the equipment that we had, we were able to complete the job. The responders loaded the remaining four bodies onto the empty sleds and took them to Tuntatuliak. From there, a state plane flew them to Bethel, where they were then loaded onto a commercial plane and taken to Anchorage to be identified. The crashed Ute commuter service airplane remains on the tundra. In Bethel, I'm Anna Rose MacArthur. Donald Trump Jr. and his son will be embarking on a week-long hunt for Sitka black-tailed deer and ducks in southeast Alaska, and a spot to join them is being auctioned off to the highest bidder. For one Juno-based guide, it's a way to teach his guests about the importance of the Tongass National Forest at a crucial time. From Alaska's Energy Desk, Elizabeth Jenkins has more. 
Keegan McCarthy owns Coastal Alaska Adventures, a business that guides visitors on yacht-based hunts. He's also developing a new program that will help kids learn the subsistence values he grew up with. A big part of that revolves around Sitka blacktail deer. That's what my family subsided on. <laughs> Growing up in Juneau, all we ate was Sitka blacktail deer. And still to this day, that's what my family eats. So sharing that message and the importance of that resource, you know, with the young hunters. McCarthy is well-connected in the guided hunting scene. In fact, he spoke on a cell phone where he's attending the Safari Club International Convention in Reno, Nevada. McCarthy is auctioning off the Alaska hunt there and online. It'll help fund his new youth program. And he tapped a famous acquaintance to come along, Donald Trump Jr. As a hunter, I do personally believe that his, his morals and ethics are excellent in the hunting world. Trump Jr. has been criticized by the Humane Society for his hunting practices. Photos of him posing next to a dead elephant in 2012 caused a stir among animal rights groups. But McCarthy stresses Trump Jr. is conservation-minded, and the deer on this hunt aren't being shot for just trophies. The meat will be served on board the yacht, taken home, or donated. You know, like farm-to-table type concepts for the sick of blacktail. We stress the importance of how, you know, we eat what we harvest. But McCarthy has another thing he wants to teach Donald Trump Jr. and his guest about a subsistence lifestyle in southeast Alaska. He thinks it's largely dependent on protecting habitat in the Tongass National Forest. McCarthy is outspoken in his opposition to changes to the roadless rule in the Tongass, which could increase logging. The Trump administration has been pushing for that. But McCarthy says it's not a secret that he'd like to see an end to large timber sales in the national forest. He's spoken to Trump Jr. about it before, and that conversation will continue when he visits in November. And hopefully, if anything, we can bend a sympathetic ear towards getting somebody potentially as influential as, as he is out there just to really see what we're doing and see how important the Tongass National Forest is. So I do think this can be beneficial if done right. As of Friday, the auction was going for around $18,000. It closes on Saturday, the final day of the Safari Club convention. From Alaska's Energy Desk, I'm Elizabeth Jenkins in Juneau. This is Alaska Fish Radio. I'm Lainey Welch. Get a loan for quota shares and repay based on your catches. More on the local fish fund after this. Integrated Marine Systems is the leader in marine refrigeration in Alaska. Simple, reliable, built to last. Visit imspacific.com. A local fish fund is open for business to help young Alaskan fishermen buy quota shares of halibut and sable fish. The cost of entering Alaska's quota share fishery is really daunting for young people. It's a huge amount of risk and a big upfront cost, and we're looking for ways to help people get that start. Linda Benkin is director of the Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association in Sitka and a founder of the Alaska Sustainable Fisheries Trust. Both are part of a mix of fisheries, conservation, and finance expertise that created over 10 years the local fish fund. Its loans use a flexible revenue participation approach where repayments are based on fish landings. So the payments are based on what fishermen are paid at the dock. And if stocks of fish fall, if the price 
falls, then so too does the payment that fishermen make each year. Conversely, if they go up, it's a bigger share that goes to the fishermen. It's also a bigger share that goes to help pay back the loan and build equity in that loan. Fishermen also are given a 1% break on their loan interest rate if they participate in local conservation projects, such as electronic monitoring or networking to keep whales away from fishing gear. Dustin Solberg is with the Nature Conservancy in Cordova. Some of the partners we're working with are coming specifically from that impact investing sector that's trying to attain conservation goals through innovative lending. Fund backers also include the Rasmussen Foundation, Catch Together, Craft 3, the Oak Foundation, and the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. For now, the local fish fund is lending in southeast Alaska and will expand to other regions. Learn more at localfishfund.org and at alaskafishradio.com. Fish Radio is also brought to you by Ocean Beauty Seafoods. In Kodiak, I'm Lainey Welch. KMXT Local News is underwritten in part by GCI, home of double unlimited mobile and Internet, offering connectivity to communities around the state. A full list of services and store locations can be found at GCI.com. And by Artinger's Fine Furnishings, proud to offer a variety of sofas and love seats made in Oregon by Stanton, as well as massage and zero-gravity chairs by Human Touch. Find the fabric and style that fits your lifestyle in the store or by special order. Also featuring inviting rugs, lamps, and accessories for your home at Artinger's, 486-5554. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Welcome to this noon edition of the Island Messenger. It's 33 degrees overcast in Kodiak today. This afternoon should be sunny, though, with a high near 32. Northwest winds around 20 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy, a low around 23 degrees, and northwest winds 5 to 15 miles per hour. Tuesday, a 30% chance of snow after 3 p.m., increasing clouds with, with a high near 32, and north winds 5 to 10 miles per hour, becoming east in the afternoon. Snow before 3 a.m. on Tuesday night, then rain and snow. Snow could be heavy at times with areas of blowing snow and a low near 30 degrees. In Homer today, it's 28 degrees, fair and breezy. This afternoon, sunny with a high near 28. Northwest winds 5 to 10 miles per hour. Anchorage, it's 20 degrees and just a few clouds out. This afternoon, mostly sunny with a high near 20 degrees. North winds around 5 miles per hour. Tonight should be mostly clear as well, a low around negative 2. Northeast winds 5 to 10 miles per hour, becoming light and variable after midnight. Looking at the marine forecast from Marmot Island to Sikonak, there's a small craft advisory through Tuesday. Today, north winds of 30 knots with seas at 11 feet, and tonight, northwest winds of 25 knots with seas at 9 feet. Chiniac Bay has a small craft advisory today. Today, northwest winds of 25 knots with seas at 3 feet, and tonight, northwest winds of 15 knots becoming north 10 knots after midnight, seas at 2 feet. Marmot Bay has a small craft advisory as well. Today, northwest winds of 25 knots with seas at 3 feet. And tonight, west winds of 20 knots becoming north 10 knots after midnight, seas at 3 feet. Shalikov Strait has a small craft advisory through Tuesday. Today, northwest winds of 15 knots increasing to 25 knots in the afternoon. Seas at 3 feet, building to 6 feet in the afternoon with freezing spray. Tonight, west winds of 25 knots with seas at 6 feet and freezing spray. 
East of the Barrett Islands, a gale warning through tonight. Today, northwest winds of 30 knots, increasing to 40 knots in the afternoon with seas at 8 feet, building to 13 feet in the afternoon with freezing spray. And tonight, Barren Islands East, northwest winds of 35 knots, diminishing to 25 knots after midnight, seas at 12 feet with freezing spray. West of the Barren Islands, a gale warning through tonight and a heavy freezing spray warning tonight as well. Today, west winds of 30 knots, increasing to 45 knots in the afternoon, seas at 8 feet, building to 14 feet in the afternoon with freezing spray. And tonight, northwest winds of 40 knots, diminishing to 30 knots after midnight, seas at 13 feet, subsiding to 8 feet after midnight with heavy freezing spray. Today is the 10th of February. Sunrise this morning was at 8.53 a.m. Sunset tonight will be at 5.56 p.m. That's 9 hours and 3 minutes of daylight, which is 4 minutes 42 seconds less than we got yesterday. Excuse me, more than we got yesterday. The record high on this day was 47 degrees in 1947, and the record low was 2 degrees in 1990. Looking at our tides for today, high tide for Kodiak will be coming in at 2.30 p.m., 10.48 feet. Low tide will be out at 9.03 a.m., negative 1.97 feet. Over on the west side, high tides at 3.11 p.m., 21.97 feet. And low tide will be out at 9.32 p.m., negative 4.79 feet. And looking at our community announcements for today. Are you a boater, hiker, hunter, or fisherman, and do you own a GPS? If so, do you know how to use it? The Coast Guard Auxiliary can help. GPS for Mariners is a two-hour seminar course that will help you learn to navigate the world around you using modern GPS technology. While this course focuses on the equipment typically owned by the recreational boater, the material is useful for a variety of applications, including hiking, hunting, fishing, geocaching, and even driving in unfamiliar areas. If you own a handheld GPS unit, you are encouraged to bring it to class. It's Saturday, February 15th from 4 to 6 p.m. at the uh, Kodiak Island Borough School District Central Services Conference Room, F140. For more information, contact Lyle Refier, 654-4875, or L Refier, that's spelled R-E-F-I-O-R, at gmail.com. The next Galley Tables is coming up on Friday, the theme is for better or worse it's also valentine's day there will be seven storytellers with seven minutes each to tell their stories a five dollar suggested donation at the door doors open at seven and the show starts at 7 30 always at the kodiak harbor convention center sign up to tell your story at galleytables.com or email galleytables at gmail.com Tomorrow at the Public Library at 3.30 p.m. is after-school art sessions. Enjoy a different form of art each Tuesday. All supplies are provided. Children under 10 must be accompanied by an adult. Also on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. is Traveler's Destination and the country this month is Egypt. This month, Kim Phillips and Joseph Urban will share their experiences visiting Egypt. Wednesday, February 12th at 10.30 a.m., Lapsit Storytime. It's a great opportunity to engage early literacy concepts and social skills through play. And later on Wednesday at 3 p.m. is Lego Fun. It's a drop-in program for youth and adults. Children under 10 must be accompanied by an adult. Kodiak City Council is holding a work session on Tuesday, February 11th. It'll begin at 7.30 p.m. in the multi-purpose room of the Public Library at 612 Egan Way. It's open to the public, and for more information, call the city clerk's office at 486-8636. And that's all I have for you for today. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. 
If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.